Shalom to the online Nechamuami family. This is Rabbi Damien. The next several weeks' teachings will be speaking to some significant changes coming to Nechamuami. Even if you're not in the seats, to me, you're part of the family. And it's important then for me to share with you what is coming, why, and hopefully to have you be as excited as we are. Because Hashem is doing a great thing and we, no matter where we reside, are blessed to be a part of it all. With His help, big things are ahead. You're invited. We'd love to have your support and enjoy the teaching. So Shalom Macon. That's what we talked about. And it's exciting, but here's the deal. That, I mean, that was, it's kind of a bombshell after 10 years, right? Just to drop that in on you. So I think it's important that we spend at least a little bit of time talking about what that's going to look like, because here's the deal. Changing a name is real nice but it's not going to actually change much if we don't consider what needs to be changed. You cannot just change. A, I can start going by Richard right now. I'm not going to be able to be Richard Eisner. I mean, a name change, you have to be different things. I'd have to go to med school. I'd probably be better at surgery than he is when I finished <laughs> because I've trained under him for 20 years. No, But... A name change is, it's, it's nice, but it's not going to fix everything. Well, golly, you act like things are broken. No, not necessarily, but there are things, as we talked about, that need to be changed. And therefore, we need to look at a culture shift. And that's a real scary word. Because what people hear is, that sounds like compromise to me. That sounds like compromise, Rabbi. That, well, I've got news for you that the culture is shifting everywhere around you. You can put your head in the sand or you can deal with it. We're going to deal with it, okay? But today I kind of want to talk about that idea. You want us to compromise our values, Rabbi, to be something else. Well, how in the world is this thing going to work? That's today's topic. And it's, it's going to be an ongoing conversation just for a few weeks probably, and I have some ideas of what that's going to look like. But, you know, how is this going to work? Because remember, intention does not boil the rice. Intention. You can have the greatest intentions in the world to do all kinds of positive things, but with no system in place, with no plan, with no direction. That is useless. And so today I want to begin to lay out the framework, not for what I have crafted. This is not my vision. I believe that this is a vision from God for our community here and out there and bigger because I think, I think what I'm hearing him say, and I'll just be honest, he didn't show up and tap me on my shoulder and wake me up and say, here's what I'm going to tell you, Damien. I think this is what I'm hearing. What we do here can affect other communities around the world. And I have a pretty good model for that that happened a hmm, little over 2,000 years ago. But we're going to look at this framework because, and it's going to start today with this crazy title, Myth and Mayhem, the First Century Church. Myth and Mayhem, the First Century Church. 
and I use the word in church in quotes, and I'll tell you why. I think it is vitally important that we spend some time talking about this because this is Hashem's intention for Messianic Judaism, I believe. So where do we start? Well, the beginning is a good place to start. That always makes sense. So how about the first century? Let's look at the first century as a beginning place, and I'm talking about the birth of the Messianic movement. The Messianic movement, but it's not the only Messianic movement. There were others. Bar Kokhba in the second century, Shabbatai Svi in the 17th century. There are plenty of people who have come along and said that they were the Messiah, and you could say they had a Messianic movement, but ours is the real one. Ours is the one that stuck. Ours is the one that transformed the world. And it began 20, I mean, 2,000 some years ago. Well, not quite, actually. Well, it did. Let's not get into that. So, here's the thing. Let's start by looking at some of the oft overlooked considerations of the first century. Now, I have not done a dissertation on Jewish and Gentile relations. I don't have a PhD in first century history, history of the church. I don't have those things. So I'm going to use two tools today to share this with you. I'm going to use what the Bible says And I'm going to use common sense. When you put those two things together, really good things can happen. And I'm hoping that's going to happen in here today. So again, we're in the first century. Now, there is this idea that the messianic community, that this is the picture of the first century. You ever been invited to a community? And you hear it often in messianic communities. Come and worship like Jesus did. Come to the Acts Church. Well, we're off to a bad start there because there were no churches in Acts. There was the ecclesia. There was the community of Yeshua's disciples, but there weren't any churches. But come and and worship like Jesus did. We're doing it first century style. Messianic Judaism. First century worship. It's a t-shirt. Well, Is that real, where Jews and Gentiles coming in together, worshiping like Jesus did? I mean, it sounds incredible, really, the idea. And and the truth of the matter is, it seems real, because you don't have to look any further than the book of Acts. By chapter 2, they had it all figured out. It says that. In, in, in Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. Man, that sounds incredible. 
This idea, Jews and Gentiles, they were really one in Messiah, worshiping God together, getting along. And here's the, here's the misunderstanding that Messianic Judaism wants to throw in there. And then the church came along and messed it all up. They messed up this, this perfect thing that was happening and, and we're getting it back together first century style because we got it right. First century worship, yeah. <laughs> What's the problem with that fairy tale scenario and what I just read you in Acts 2? Do you know what the problem is? Anyone? One crazy guess. Who said it? There were no Gentiles. There were no Gentiles. There were no nations. They were getting together in each other's Jewish homes, going to the Jewish temple, saying Jewish prayers, saying spending Jewish money. There were no Gentiles. There were God-fearers, but, but listen, God-fearers at this point, they were part of the synagogue, the traditional synagogue. There was no Jesus for these God-fearers at this point. As a matter of fact, if we're honest, there was not even a consideration in that Acts 2.42 community that Gentiles were going to be included in the mix. You remember that? So what we're talking about here is a fledgling community of, and I'm going to borrow Avram Polyak's term, Jewish Christians. The term Christian, likely invented by the Roman authorities in Syrian Antioch, it's not, I mean, it has a very different connotation today. But these really were Jewish Christians, followers of the Christ. Now, and even later as the movement developed, we know that it was a very, very Jewish expression, right? We know that for a period of time. Now, are you ready for the real story? I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to tell you about first century worship. Are you ready? Good. And this is part of the question that I told you we'd address today. How are we going to do this? How is Shalom Macon going to situate itself in the middle of a mission in and to the Jewish community and especially now to the nations, to the, to the Gentile community. Well, I thought we've been doing that. Well, we sort of have, not very well, but we've been doing that. How are we going to do it better? Here's, here's first century. Well, we'll do it like they did in the first century and we'll get t-shirts <laughs> and that'll fix, no. Here, do you know what first century worship was? It was an absolute mess. It was a total disaster as it began. This sounds heretical. Listen to me. Pharisees, Sadducees, Zealots, Essenes, now Jewish Christians in the mix. 
revolts against Rome, massacres against Jews, expulsions from Rome, taxes, crazy emperors, proselytes, God-fearers, circumcision faction, oh my! The destruction of the temple and Gentiles, oh my goodness, Gentiles! They want to worship with us? Yeah, with us! Pagans, idol worshipers coming into Jewish space because of this guy named Jesus who, by the way, was crucified by Rome on a cross as a common criminal and now it is reported he has come back from the dead. And the Jews are following him and proclaiming him as Messiah, son of David. And Gentiles are grabbing a hold of these Jews and saying, take me with you. A guy named Zechariah said that once in the Bible, that that would happen. They're showing up in synagogues. They want to eat together. With us? Yes, with us. And they're going to have a place in the world to come? uncircumcised yes no yes no oh rabbi golly you are dramatic the first christians had it all figured out did they you read about the antioch incident pillars peter and paul fighting paul listen peter you listen Paul, Peter, Peter, I'm telling you, you can't act like that with the Gentiles. Paul, you're about to get it. You are getting on my last nerve, Paul. You do realize that I'm the rock, right? We are about to wrestle. And speaking of Paul, Paul definitely had it all figured out, didn't he? Paul, in Galatians 5, said, I wish you'd just castrate yourselves. Does that sound like a guy who has things under control? What if I said that up here? How many people you think would come back next week? Paul wasn't always nice because he was going crazy, that's why. The Jerusalem Council. That was an easy meeting. They have to obey Torah. They have to be circumcised. No, they don't. Yes, they do. No, they don't. Yes, they do. And James finally stands up and says, Enough! No, they don't, James said. It's obvious. God's up to something amazing here. Well, what is it, James? I don't exactly know. But I think it's good. I'm pretty sure it's good. And so, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from what has been strangled, from blood, and from the ancient generation. Four, from the ancient generations. Moses 
has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. So, if you want to go back to that as your form of worship, let's get you a padded cell and you can do some thinking. Not the, not the Jerusalem council thing. I'm talking about everything I said before, which was first century happenings. First century worship was difficult. And we're just getting started. You know how difficult it got from there. It really did take a turn. It did get worse. It did get harder. Kicked out of the synagogue. Christian persecution. Jewish persecution. Separation of Jew and Gentile. Anti-Semitism. Replacement theology. This is first century worship. Is that what we are? Is that the goal? The first century, you want to know what the first century was? You're going to love this. The first century was the age of Judaizing. Ooh, that's a bad word. You can't say that. Man, I know it is a bad word. And it's, it's, it's used all over the Bible. You can hardly turn a page in the New Testament without coming across the word Judaizer. Oh, wait, sorry, wrong. Do you know how many times it's used in the Bible? Judaizo. Once. Once. And it's Paul and Peter having their tiff. Yeah, Paul hated Judaizers. Do you know what it means to Judaize? Who, someone just, I love to involve people. Someone give me a definition of Judaize. I don't care if it's right or wrong. I'm not going to make fun of you. I want it to be wrong. How's that? Anyone? Okay, I'll give you one. I won't give you one. I'll give you the one. What it is to adopt Jewish customs and rites, to imitate the Jews. Judaizo. I'm borrowing this, actually, a part of this because I loved it so much, from a lecture that I heard Daniel Lancaster give called Confessions of a Judaizer. He said, when I die, I want that on my tombstone. Daniel Lancaster, Judaizer. Now, this is kind of shocking because we have a connotation of what to Judaize means, right? It's been passed down to you from a lot of tradition from the church father's interpretation of what this means, but if it means to adopt Jewish customs and rights to imitate the Jews, um, I got news for you. Up until and at that time, the Jews were the only ones who knew the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Had a relationship with them anyway. Other people knew. Pharaoh knew him. But the Jews had this relationship, right? 
They knew God, the creator, the master of all, only the Jews. So guess what? Guess what? If you were a pagan idolater at the temple of Apollo, you had better hope someone like Paul Judaized you. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? You had better hope. You had better hope that someone introduced you to the God of Abe and Izzy and Jake. Not to be confused. And here's where it has gotten so off. Not to be confused with telling you, and now you need to become a Jew. Now you need to go through a, 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 a conversion process. In other words, this is a no-snip zone. <laughs> conversion, circumcision, that's what that means in this context, not required. In other words, the first century did something incredibly important that matters for us right now and what we're talking about doing in our community. What they did by creating a no-snip zone and with James' assessment and verdict, they lowered the barriers to entry. And what did that mean? It meant that Gentiles could come into the community Eat with Jews. Be Judaized. Be Judaized. That is to learn about the God of the Jews and to imitate Jewish things like not eating blood or fornicating with temple prostitutes. Those are bad things. Those are not Jewish things. So if you stop doing those and go to the synagogue or stop eating pig meat slaughtered to Hermes, I'm sorry, you've been Judaized. It's all over from here. No, it's all starting from there. It should have. <sighs> Let me try to get to an end here because I love talking about this. It's... It's, it's history, it's real, it happened. They lowered these barriers to entry for those who wanted to know the God of Israel. And that is testified to by James' statement in the Jerusalem Council. It is therefore my decision, based on the counsel of all of you wise people, circumcision faction, uncircumcision faction, all of this, we've come together and I'm making this decision that these four things are non-negotiables. But other than that, let's lower the barrier sentry. Why? Because he says, for throughout the region, there are synagogues. The Talmud reports that, I, I don't quote me, but it's something like 400 synagogues in Jerusalem alone. There are synagogues where Moses is taught. So don't make it difficult. Invite them in the door. Have a general plan 
And what was the general plan? To Judaize them. (laughs) To help them learn about the God of Israel. And that was James' thing. God is with us. He's doing something. I can't exactly tell you what it is or how it's going to work, but, but listen, let's get them in the door. Here's this general plan. Let's see what God has in store, but they don't need to become Jews. However, and it's a big, big, big however, to adopt a Jewish worldview, a Jewish scriptural interpretation, to live under the authority of God's instruction for his people is to be Judaized, actually. That is what that is. As a Judaized, formerly pagan Gentile, you are by Yeshua's work invited into the family. And that is what was happening in the first century. The age of Judaizing. And guess what? It was incredibly difficult. Very hard work. Everybody died. Pretty much. Who tried to do it? That's uplifting. They ran into a lot of static, a lot of problems on every side. Does that sound familiar? Ooh, man, that's life in the middle. We live it. It was not kumbaya. It was not. It was not peace and harmony. Here are a few words. It was crazy. It was dynamic. It was evolving. It was miraculous. It was new. It was patient. And it was loving. That's what was going on around here. And, and it's what we want to do and be. It was the beginning then of what should have been Messianic Judaism for all nations. That's what it should have been. And Paul says it really well in 1 Corinthians 7. I'll summarize it. However you came into this thing, stay that way. If you are uncircumcised, stay that way. That means if you're a Gentile. If you're circumcised, stay that way. That means you're a Jew. What really matters is obeying God's instruction. Judaizer! Paul was the king of Judaizers. He was the apostle to the nations. Now there's some irony Paul, Romans, Galatians, he hates the law. He introduced the Gentiles to the God of Israel and his ways through the Torah. Judaizer. Here's the good news. It's not the good news, but it's some good news. That has never changed Did you know the world still needs Judaizers? Would you like to be called one? How about that for a (laughs) t-shirt? Judaizer. I would love to wear that shirt. (laughs) I am not kidding. That, I would do it as an experiment. Can you imagine the conversations? How about, and I I have many friends in churches throughout Macon, but how about if I just took a month 
four Sundays, wore that shirt, and went to church. <laughs> oh, man. That's... The good news, there is a remarkable, remarkable, remarkable resurgence of that very same hunger that brought the nations into the community. I read an article in Christianity Today this week. This was, this was shocking to me. But, you know, I'll come back to that. Remember when I I read you that quote about Avram Polyak, if Yeshua is the Messiah and this and that, then this is the turning point. Man, I just can't stress it enough that I think we are at a turning point that looks a lot like the first century. It's just a lot of things have happened since then and we've, we've got some new ingredients in the soup and they're not pretty. Anti-Semitism's always been around, but now we've got a massive replacement theology, um, rotten onion in the soup. But, but it's happening, and we're not dealing with pagans from the temple of Apollo, thank God we're reaching out to the nations, but the mission, I, I don't think I'm going to call it Judaizing, but what is remarkable is that it's still... It, like they were introduced to the God of Israel? Our mission today is a reintroduction to the God of Israel, to his Torah, and especially a reintroduction to Jesus, to who Yeshua is, what he meant, why he did the things he did. We Get that job. And this article in Christianity Today was called this, Old Testament Law. You think something's bad coming, don't you? Old Testament Law is a gracious invitation to intimacy with God. Subtitle, Why Believers Shouldn't Throw It Away Out of Embarrassment. Christianity Today. Last week, the editor, I told you about it before. You need to read it. You need to read Mark Golly, I think is his name, the editor. Got crucified a few weeks ago. But he retired from Christianity Today, not because of that. But I think this, this was his last article called Killing Jesus' Brothers and Sisters. You need to look it up online and you need to read it. His swan song. It's like, what, how can I leave How can I leave most powerfully? What did he choose? To speak against anti-Semitism on his exit from Christianity today. Man, that's awesome. I don't, whatever with the other stuff, but that is meaningful. It's happening. But amazingly, even in that article of Christianity Today, the Old Testament is an invitation to intimacy with God. There was no mention of Israel, Torah, Jews, the Jewish people. That that didn't make it in there. Partially because 
replacement theology. A lot of people who are replacement theologians, it's not a real word, don't even know that they are that. It's just so embedded. But why, why else might not it have been there? Because she doesn't want to be called a Judaizer. Which if you say, you should live by the law. Oh my goodness, this, this guy's nuts. He's a Judaizer. And here's where we're going to end it. Interestingly, also, in that article, this, this author chose to throw in a little dig to our brother up north in Atlanta who recommend that we unhitch from the Old Testament. She, she got one in on him too. Lower the barriers to entry. Well, Rabbi, again, what I'm hearing you say, compromise. Well, friend, that's something different. That's something different. There are non-negotiables. That first century community who was and is Jewish and spent time in the synagogue, they didn't compromise those things about who they were. For Acts 2, they're still going to the temple. They're still offering the prayers. They're still doing all these things. They didn't compromise that. Because they assign these four things to the new Gentile believers doesn't mean that they stopped being who God called them. We have those too. We have non-negotiables in this community, in this congregation. And I will talk about some of those next week because they're important that we're aligned in what those are and understand them. We have them. But, but what it actually turns out to be hilarious is the days ahead of this incredibly difficult work of reaching out into the community and doing this, we are going to be a first century community. Crazy. I have a colleague, he said, man, he saw the logo or he heard something I said and he goes, man, I think you are nuts, but I like it. <laughs> I like that. I am nuts. Totally crazy. I'm probably not going to tell you to go castrate yourselves, though. <laughs> we want to be a first century congregation. Shalom Macon, home of the Judaizers. <laughs> I'm not going to go with that either. But Shalom Macon is going to give you that chance to live and breathe and function and build in a first century congregation with craziness, with evolution evolving, with, with newness, with love, with passion, with patience for people who don't know who are coming in. You're going to get a chance to live the first century for real, not kumbaya. Are you willing to do that? Are you prepared for the battle? And it is. It's a battle. I know, I very much know, that when we, this cute, wonderful little tight-knit community that we have here, when we open it up and bring in people who know nothing, do you know how many people I have shaken their hands for two or three weeks and they say, man, we absolutely love it. It's good to have you. We, we really enjoyed being here. Three weeks, I say something and whoosh, out the door. Never to be seen. It's like the roadrunner. 
or the wheels, and then he's out. I know how difficult our job is. And I think we're all crazy enough to go do it. And I think, I think, how do we Judaize? Shalom Macon, come and be Judaized. None of these slogans are working for me. I, I keep trying. How about Shalom Macon, where disciples grow? That's what the first century was making. Not even Messianic Jews, not even Messianic Gentiles, not even Messianic Cocker Spaniels. <laughs> Disciples of Yeshua. We are all disciples of Yeshua. It is time for us to unleash the true power of what was to be realized in the first century, which was Messianic Judaism for all nations. Shalom Macon, where disciples grow. Learn, connect, and grow. That's better than home of the Judaizers, right? <laughs> we, my friends, are like the first century, surrounded, surrounded by a cray-cray world out there. Crazy what's happening in the world. Ideas, ideologies, idiots. That's my current assessment of much of the world. And that is what the first century had too. Surrounded by cray-cray. So, what are we going to do? We're going to hold fast to what is true, to the non-negotiables. We're going to lower the barriers to entry by not scaring people to death. Do you understand? Circumcision would have been terrifying. Hey, come on in. Have some challah. Stop and see the moil by the door. And wash your hands. What's hilarious is half, so we do the very same thing sometimes. We scare the living poo-poo out of people <laughs> by telling them, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do that before. No. James, this is my judgment. These four things, non-negotiable for them. We don't have to change what we are, who we are, what we do, but we have to change how we approach them. Okay, I've said that 50 times. You got it? Good, this is it. Welcome to the 21st century version of Messianic Judaism for all nations. That is what that is. I hope we can really, really change the world. It's dramatic. I'm dramatic. My whole family can tell you that. Like James, I believe God is up to something. I don't know exactly how it works, but it's gonna work. B'Shem Yeshua, in the name of Yeshua, Bezrat Hashem, with God's strength, with God's favor and power. Amen.
Shabbat Shalom. We're building the kingdom and thankful that you're a part of that mission. If this teaching inspired you, please consider a financial gift to support the work of Shalom Macon. Visit MaconMessianic.com and click Give Online. May the Lord bless and keep you.